morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to be finishing up Acts chapter 1. Today, we're going to be in the book of Acts pretty much for all of 2020. Um, so I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. One, get yourself a good Bible. If you don't have one, there's a lost and found around here. Just scratch someone else's name out of it. We say that all the time. You got yourself a new Bible. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, we have these uh, scripture journals out at the starting point area in the lobby. And they're just uh, at cost. They cost us $2. We're just, uh, we want to provide them here, and so you can get it for $2. And it allows you to take notes throughout the whole series. You can just be studying this book uh, throughout the year with us. We'll take a break in the summer, but other than that, we'll be in the book of Acts for quite a while. I want to help you get prepared uh, to do that. In addition, one other thing, as you um, are here, if you're a guest or this is your place uh, that you would call this your church home, I want to encourage you with that Connect card. Last week, you had an incredible response. We got all kinds of prayers, and uh, myself and the other elders, we spent time uh, yesterday morning breaking all those up and spending some serious time praying over all of your prayer concerns. And so know that you'll always be prayed for when you put something on that card, but we would love to hear how God is moving and answering those prayers. And so feel free to fill out another card and just, here's a praise, here's how uh, God has been responding. We would love to hear that. Uh, as well. So speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll jump into uh, God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you for how good you are to us. As we come to this time where we want to open your word, we want to take it seriously, God. We want ears to hear. Through the work of your Holy Spirit in us, would you make us receptive to your truth? And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, the passage that we're going to look at is going to help us understand uh, the importance of uh, wisdom and discernment. Um, And so we need to have discernment when we're presented with choices. Every single day we're presented with choices. And how do we approach that? How do we approach it with God's wisdom? So to get us started, I want to do something. I want to have some participation silently from your chair. So this is just something for you to get kind of drawn in a little bit. I don't want anyone yelling out. Uh, So just you're going to consider these two options I'm going to give you. We're going to compare two leaders. And here's what I want you to do. I don't want you, as you silently answer this, to do it idealistically. Meaning, you say, well, I think he's tricking us, and so I'm going to pick it. No, that's why we're not doing it out loud, so you can actually be honest, okay? I want you to really consider who would I actually choose to follow? Which one of these two leaders? Uh, Very real, and, and take it very seriously. Just say, hey, knowing what I know about myself, which one of these leaders would I most likely follow, okay? Leader A, lifted an entire nation in a time of despair. He mobilized his people against unimaginable odds with a clear vision and an inspiring passion. Launched a movement that has impacted literally every single person that's alive today. Set in motion, he set in motion an industrial and scientific revolution that produced the first computer, would eventually lead to the first jet airplane, uh, would eventually lead to human exploration in space and unlock the mystery of, the nucle- of nuclear energy. Almost every aspect of the modern world has been influenced in one way or another by this incredible leader. By the time he died, everyone on the planet knew his name. And without a doubt, Leader A changed, changed the world. Leader B lived during the same era. Okay? In fact, he died just 21 days after or 21 days before Leader A. But his life looked a whole lot different than Leader A. At the height of this leader's influence, he led a school with only 100 students, wrote a few books, but was not widely regarded or well-known. 
was beloved by his friends and his family, but no one really knew who this guy was. He was considered both intelligent and faithful, but at the time of his death, after writing just a couple different books, almost nobody in the world knew this person's name. And most considered his life's work, including if you read his work, he also considered his life's work unfulfilled. So given the choice between leader A and leader B, who would you rather study under? Which person's life would you want to emulate? Which if these leaders were at a conference, think about it. I mean, be real serious for a minute. This took me a second. At a conference, and you got to listen to one of these two teach and study under them, are you going to go to the main stage, the dynamic speaker, the internet sensation, leader A, or are you going to find your way to the back of the exhibit hall to a small room being, where, where there's, there's a small workshop being led by leader B? Which one would you find yourself at, leader A or leader B? I'm not going to tell you who either one of them are. I'm kidding. Uh, if you'd have chose leader A, and if we're honest, many of us would, I want to say congratulations, this is who you would have chosen. Hitler. And if you would have chosen leader B, this is who you would have chosen. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who was killed, executed by the Nazis for his relentless opposition to Hitler. Here's the point. Discernment is vitally important to our lives. Being able to look at two choices and weigh them and decide which one is really the best choice, having a system in place that helps guide us to make these decisions is so unbelievably important to the outcome of our lives. Every day we're faced with choices. Every day we're faced with decisions. Some we think are insignificant, though rarely they ever are, and others we would deem life-altering. We have to make choices, and we need wisdom. And in my experience, trying to understand wisdom and discernment and studying it and seeing how it plays out in my own life, one of the things I've learned about myself, and maybe you're a little bit like this as well, is that in my life, there is a difference between my intentions and my actions. All too often, I resonate with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 when he said, the very thing I know I should not do, I find myself doing. And the thing that I want to do so badly, I just don't seem to do it. Discernment. Choices, decisions. How do we do it? I was reading this week about a survey that was conducted uh, in studying discernment, and it looked at the decision-making of evacuees in the 2017 California wildfires. You remember that? It's also fresh in our minds right now with what's going on in Australia. And they learned that these evacuees had between 15 and 30 minutes to decide what they were going to grab before they had to get uh, to safety. It's pretty fascinating what some of them did. One musician opted for their violin. A golfer, in, in that decision-making, he grabbed his clubs. A bride-to-be, she remembered her dress. Others went after more practical things like toilet paper. <laughs> Some fumbled through boxes of old photo albums trying their best to um, protect memories. One woman grabbed diapers and wipes and clothes for her kids and nothing for herself. An 82-year-old woman grabbed her walker and, of all things, a hairbrush, but managed to forget her husband's thyroid medication. <laughs> it's in the survey. One man, 57 years old, refused to leave, though his nephew was pleading with him because he wasn't going to leave without his truck and ultimately ended up dying. After all of the survey, one psychologist noted this, we're so used to being in control of our lives and so used to making decisions all the time, but in situations like this, in situations when our lives are reduced to what we can grab inside of 15 to 30 minutes. And we have to live with the consequences of those decisions that are made under stress, under difficulty. 
we begin to question ourselves. Most of us, we're not going to have to face that. Like most of us, we're not, uh, by God's grace, we're, we're more than likely not going to have to face being an evacuee in a situation like that. But every day we do make decisions that have the potential to influence our lives, the outcome of our lives. And we have to live with the consequences of so many of our decisions for so long. And so let me give you a disclaimer before we jump into some of this. As we talk about what it means to make godly, wise decisions in our lives, it will inevitably bring up the pain of past poor decisions. And so I want to be really clear with this point. Before we get into the text, understand that making wise, discerning decisions... Uh, is something that you will do and will fail at. You will never be perfect at it. You will continue to mess up. As a matter of fact, the person we're going to be learning from, the Apostle Peter, is a case study in this. Making poor decisions and having to move on and just continuing to try to grow in wisdom. The other thing I want to make sure that you're aware of is that your decision-making after you're in Christ is not a salvation decision each and every single time. Uh, And so the pressure we put on ourselves to please God as though he will be mad at us for making the wrong decision is not what we're talking about today. By God's grace, he continues to allow us to grow and to develop in our ability to make good decisions, godly decisions, and discern between what we should and should not do. And so as we continue in the book of Acts, the second half of Acts, let me, let me fill us in a little bit about where we came from. As Luke is writing this historical account to his friend Theophilus, we learn that when Jesus ascended last week, as he ascended to, to heaven, he left the church with a mission. And he said, go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. I want you to wait. And then when the Holy Spirit comes, the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, he will empower you to be witnesses. And the gospel will then begin to spread from the central hub of Jerusalem to uh, Judea and to Samaria and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. We're going to pick it up today. They, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. And the two angels kind of kick them back into attention and say, it's time to go. And they head into Jerusalem. And we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 1. But I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Would you stand with me as we read through Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Luke writes these words. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 And said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the the middle of the, and all of his boughs gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that that field was called by their own language, Echodama, which means field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed, and they said, Lord... You, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two men that you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is God's word. You can be seated. 
So as, as this history account continues, verse 12 tells us that following the ascension, the apostles head back to Jerusalem and they wait for the Holy Spirit in the upper room. More than likely, this is the same upper room where the Last Supper would have taken place. 120 people together when Peter stands up and begins to speak. I love this because this is the same Peter who not long ago had denied Jesus three different times. This is the same Peter who had made a poor choice after a poor choice after a poor choice. This is the same Peter who thought his life was over and had gone back to fishing. And the same Peter that Jesus restored three times, according to John's gospel. Three times telling him, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. We're going to grow. We're going to move forward. And then giving him very clear instruction, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. And so now, for the very first time, Peter stands up and begins to feed the sheep. He begins to teach. He begins to instruct them, hey, we have a difficult decision that we're going to have to make. So, again, as we get into this, let me be clear. This text was not written for us to have advice about making our decisions. Please hear that. This passage was written as a historical account from Luke to Theophilus, detailing what took place, setting the stage for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, I mean, the book of Acts could be titled uh, the book, uh, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because he, he is the one, but he doesn't want the attention, but he's the one causing all of this growth and movement in the book of Acts. So this was not written so that we'd have a foolproof system for making decisions. That being said, though, I think as we study this history account, we can draw from it wisdom that will aid us in making our own decisions. Last week, we said uh, disciples making disciples. We're going to take one more step in that to provide some clarity around our vision as a church to be disciples who are making disciples. And we said we're going to introduce a way to gauge how we're doing as individuals and as a church family. And we're going to uh, use the phrase, the, the head, the heart, and the hands. The head being the way we learn, the knowledge we learn about Jesus. But we don't want to be big heads, if you remember that. We don't want to walk around like mascots, spiritual mascots, with giant big heads and only do study. So that study needs to influence our heart and the way that our character is changed and the way God is changing us and ultimately lead to our hands where we actually act on what God's doing in our lives. And so head, heart, and hands. And so that's kind of a, a decent little model for understanding what we learn from this passage here. See, the first thing that Peter does in leading God's people to making godly decisions is he starts with Scripture. He starts with God's Word. So if you're someone who takes notes, I would encourage you, uh, the, the first step in discernment and godly wisdom, in my opinion, and what I'm drawing from this text is, godly discernment begins with being convicted by and led by Scripture. That's the head. We have to know what God has to say. So Peter's message starts in the Old Testament, focuses on the betrayal of Judas, begins to lay out a case in the Old Testament and says not only is that, uh, was that done to fulfill something, but now the Old Testament also tells us that we have to make a decision about what to do next. It's what's guiding them. And I don't want you to miss this. Look, please hear this. Whether you lead in a local business, whether you lead in your home, whether you lead a group of people that you're discipling, whether you lead a discipleship group here at New Hope, or you lead in any other capacity in your life, I want you to learn something from Peter's leadership. The first thing that Peter does as leading in the church, the very first thing, Peter leads from a place of submission to God's word. First thing he does. He says, hey, before we do anything, what does scripture have to say about this? He also affirms what he believes about scripture here. Right Right there in verse 16, Peter says that this had to be done to fulfill what was written, but what was written came from the mouth of King David. The Holy Spirit spoke through David as he wrote down what was being said. So when you hold this Bible in your hand, 
What Peter is telling us here is that you can have confidence that this Bible is the very word of God because the Holy Spirit is directed. And as a matter of fact, Peter would later on write in 1 Peter, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he would say this, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how we got this. The Holy Spirit inspired them and empowered them to write, and that's how we got God's word. See, Peter could have just relied on his gut. Never forget my senior year of high school with somebody telling me, hey, Kay, as you're uh, going, just always trust your heart. Later on, I learned the Bible. That's like the cute phrase. Maybe you said that before. The, the big problem with that phrase is the Bible. It's not biblical. Trust your heart. The heart is deceitful. And Peter knew that. And so he said, before we just do what we want to do, let's pause here. Let's pause here and let's see what God has to say about it. Then he shifts his attention uh, and, and letting them know, hey, we got to know what Scripture says. Here, here's another thing. Just, just I want to point this out. Peter could not have known what the bot like, like to quote Scripture had he not been familiar with Scripture prior to having to make the decision. I, ho- I hope you catch that. I heard one person say this: you don't, you don't open your front door and see a tornado coming down the street barreling at you. Close the door and say, "Let's get ready." You get ready way in advance of that actually happening. Before we're faced with making these decisions that we're oftentimes faced with, we need to be familiar with what God says and not have to stop every time the decision arrives and say, now we have to go and begin this, because sometimes you're going to have to make a decision. And Peter knew that, and so he's familiar with God's word, and it comes out. He then goes into horrifying detail about the death of Judas, because that's what the scriptures said would take place. I think he does this for a couple reasons. One, he wants to say, hey, the Bible said this was going to happen, and it happened. Look. But he's also got 120 uh, people in this room who have committed to living their life on mission for Jesus. And he's also referencing what took place with Judas as a reminder that, hey, you've committed to living on mission with Jesus, and this is what happens when you abandon him. Look, God is love, and grace is a message we should never, ever stop preaching because we all need it every single day. Martin Luther said, every day I preach the gospel of grace to myself because every day I forget it. We need grace. But we must understand the consequences of choosing to abandon Jesus. And Judas is a case study. Peter's references to Scripture then come to Psalm chapter 69 and Psalm 109. And he references these two to talk about the, what needed to take place in order for them to replace Judas. He needs to be replaced. The Scriptures tell us we have to replace him. Why? Because now there'd only be 11. Why were there 12 apostles? Because there were 12 what? Tribes. And the 12 tribes were an indication, this is my people, this is my message, and through them I will bless the world. Now that through the 12 apostles, the church would be birthed, and through their work, the church would grow and bless all people, both Jews and Gentiles. All people now would be able to receive that redemptive message, and so they needed to replace it. He says, in order for this candidate, which is really fascinating when it comes to church leadership, he says, in order for this person, uh, we, we need to understand what the Bible has to say about the criteria. And so he lays it out. He says, this person needs to have witnessed the entire ministry of Jesus with us. And so they needed to be there at the baptism all the way through as he went in and out, meaning his ministry, as he performed all these things and taught all these things and listened to all his teaching. And then when he died and then when he resurrected and then when he ascended, they need to be a witness to that in order to fulfill this office. In a similar way, every year when we were getting ready to uh, put an elder candidate before you as a church, we do the same thing. We look at what Scripture says, and this person, in order to be an elder, has to live this kind of life and maintain this kind of a, uh, appreciation for Scripture and a love for God, and we sincerely look at what that has to say. That's exactly what they're doing here, and they're laying it all out. But here's a side note. 
Based on that criteria to be an apostle, I cannot understand why we would say that there can still be that role in the world today. There's, there's not room for anyone 2,000 years later to have physically witnessed all of these things. And so we no longer have apostles. They fulfilled their work, and as a result, we have God's word, and we understand it, and it's our guide to this day. And so they lay it out. So they lay out the criteria, and there's two guys that come up. These two, two different people meet the criteria. It, it perfectly fits, and, and that's maddening. I don't know about you, but when I get to making a decision, I'm like, all right, I'm going to go with what the Bible says, and I want to do the biblical thing. I want to make this biblical decision, and I come to this conclusion, and now they both perfectly fit what the Bible says. I don't like that. I don't know about you. That's just not the way I, I like to operate. I like it, the Bible to eliminate all bad choices and give me my one clear decision. That's the way I'm wired. Maybe you're like that. So they come down to these two different guys, and they have to make this decision. And Peter could have said, well, they both fit the Bible, so which one looks better? Which one dresses better? Which one has more influence? Which one has more people uh, that follow them? Which one is more gifted in front of people as they speak? Which one? It's not what they do. He didn't do that. Man, they both fit. And Peter comes to this conclusion. My, my heart can deceive me, and their hearts can deceive them. We may have missed something in evaluating this, these candidates. And so that brings us to the second part of discernment and wisdom, and it's this. They, they make sure that they are aligned with God's heart. They decide to stop and pray. It's not a formality. Please hear me. We just breeze by that. Yeah, they prayed about it. Yeah, yeah God, please show us. Like, no, they paused. They stopped. As a matter of fact, verse 14 tells us that the whole time they were in that room, they were devoted to praying together. You're not devoted to something you whimsically just fit into your agenda. They stopped long enough to consider both of these people. And then Peter's prayer is fascinating. It's simple and to the point. It's just, God, you know the heart of man. It's a fascinating thing. He could be like, God, you know their heart, and you know our hearts, and you know that our hearts can deceive us. You know that if it fits the biblical criteria, I can then begin to go right after my biases and my desires instead of what you really want. And so, God, would you please reveal to us what you want, not what we want? Please clarify that for us, God. Every day we're faced with making these kind of decisions. How often do we stop and pray? I, I, the area that I've seen in my ministry... Where this plays out more than most areas is when I'm talking to uh, either the parents of or the student themselves, high school juniors and seniors, when they begin to consider college. See, when I, when I go to asking them about it, like, hey, where are you going? They'll say, oh, I'm going to this school and I'm going to study this. And if you remember those days, you know there's some pride in that. I'm going to this school and I'm going to study this thing and it feels good to say that. So I'm like, okay, well, why'd you choose that school? And I usually get a variety. Here's some of the answers that I've got over the years. I'm going to read you some of them. Some of them were this. They have a great program. They have a really great program at that school, so I want to go there. It's a really well-known school. It's prestigious, and I got in. So, yeah, I'm going. I plan on working in this particular field, and this is the best school on planet Earth times 10 that uh, has that program, and so I'm going to be superior to everybody. They don't say it like that. That's just the tone. It's annoying. <laughs> Here's one that I've got numerous times. The campus is beautiful. And we wonder why we have a student loan crisis in this country. My family goes there. All of my siblings have gone there. I'm continuing on a tradition. Heard that. It's in the Big Ten. No kidding. That was absolutely a reason. But rarely, if ever, have I ever heard somebody say, because my parents and I have been praying, or we've been praying with our child, and we think this school is going to prepare them best to live on mission for Jesus and his kingdom. Doesn't happen. 
You see, when Peter prayed, he was not fitting God into his already made up mind. That's what we do, though. Faced with a decision, it seems to check out biblically. I know what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah, we got to pray. That's right. We got to pray. Like, God, show us what to do. We know what we're going to do, but show us what to do. We've already made up our mind, but please show us your will. Your will be done. And we just kind of go through the formality. That's not what Peter's doing. What Peter's doing here is he's stopping, and he is genuinely, in a very real way, submitting to the sovereignty of God in this moment. Now, God, I think I know which direction I'm going to go. I think I know which person I want to select, but I don't trust my heart. Would you please make it obvious what you want for us to do? See, the head is, I want to know what the word of God says. The heart is, I want to know what the heart of God says. And I want to make sure that I'm doing what he has called me to do. I just want to submit myself to his sovereignty because it may end up being that I choose something that I didn't think I was going to choose. And the last step that Peter does is this. He says, after they seek God's truth in scripture and God's guidance through prayer, they act. They actually make a decision. They actually move forward. They don't sit on it and say, well, let's just wait till we have a peace about it. They got the peace through the prayer. They got the And so they say, God, we just want to know what you want to do. Now, for them, though, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, they cast lots. And throughout the Bible, you're going to see this happen when it comes to making a godly decision throughout your Bible up until this point. Casting lots would have been, they would have got some different stones, and they would have said, okay, we got leader A, and we got leader B, and we got to decide between A and B, so we'll color this rock red, and we'll color this one green, or we'll carve into this one, and we'll carve into this one. They put it in some sort of a device, a bowl, or their hands, or some sort of a cup, and they would shake it around, and they would pray, God, please reveal to us. And a couple things could have happened. One, whatever rock came out, and that color corresponded to that choice, that was God revealing to them, that's the choice that you made. They would spill them out into a certain area on the ground, and depending on where they landed and how they landed, that also could have been casting lots to decide which decision we're going to make. And I, I think it's fascinating. Ben said, hey, I bet in, in church in general, he goes, at least in my life, Ben said this, um, if we were to have a meeting at the church where we had the elders stand up and cast lots to help people make their decisions, the line would be out the door. But when you say we're going to have a prayer meeting to help you discern what you're doing, nobody shows. It's fascinating. 1 Samuel, the leaders of Israel, cast lots to decide who's going to be their first king. The first king was going to be Saul. It's fascinating. The Lord chooses Saul, reveals to them that it's going to be Saul through the casting of lots, and he's off hiding somewhere, cowering. Because God told them, you don't need a king, you need me. But if you insist, that's who you get. See, God did work through this process. He ultimately led them to Matthias. But this is the last time in your Bible you'll ever read of any of God's leaders casting lots to make a decision. Because Luke has now set the stage perfectly for the coming of the Holy Spirit, who now, according to what the scriptures teach us, would give us a spirit of boldness and courage to make those decisions, to act as he leads us. And so now we do start with God's word. We, what does the scriptures teach us? And then we go after God's heart and prayer. Lord, please help me make this decision. I don't want to accidentally or not intentionally trust my own heart. I want what you want in this situation. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, remember Acts 1-8 is the key verse to the whole book of Acts. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive and surging inside of them, they make decisions and move. No more needing to cast lots. So I thought about this. I, I'm a weird person, so I came to the end of my, uh, my year and the end of this decade, and I used to make fun of New Year's resolutions because it was easy. Uh, it's like a softball pitch and making fun of things, and I just thought it was too, too easy. 
But then I began to pray, and the Lord began to work in my life. And so at the end of each year, I, I pray this simple prayer now. I just pray, God, what do you want to teach me? Because I, 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 I have so much to learn. What, what do you want to teach me? Reveal what you want to teach me from your word. What, what is it you want to work on in my life? And so this year, God revealed three areas of weakness in my life. I'm weak. I'm just not good at it. And one of the three is wisdom. Like, seek wisdom. Seek God's wisdom. And so I begin to pray that prayer. And as I reflect on the areas of influence that I have, particularly in my home with my children, I think, to what is the greatest? Like, I'm not going to be there for them forever. My dad died when I was a young boy. His dad died when he was young. I'm haunted by that at times. I'm weak. Haunted by it. What am I giving them that they will have when I'm not here? I think the greatest gift I can give my kids is a desire, a heart, to seek discernment from God in every decision that they make. Through his word, through prayer. I get the honor of discipling some people. I'm not going to tell you who they are. I don't... I don't you don't need to know the details, but I get to work with these, these individuals, and I meet with them, and we talk, and, and I think to myself, what do I want them to remember? Am I leader A? I want them to remember leader A. Look how awesome I am. I get to stand on a stage every week, and people pay attention to me, and look at this, and I'm, I'm an influencer. No, that's, that's such a waste. I want them to remember, maybe not me at all, but just Jesus. And just through that, they would say, I just want God's wisdom. I just want to discern his direction in my life. The greatest gift we can give to the people that are coming after us is an insatiable desire to chase after God and the wisdom he wants for their lives. And that's what we see here. Peter is preparing 120 people to live on mission for Jesus, showing them how do you have discernment. Let's start with scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's act. Let's make a decision. And the same thing is true in our lives. When it comes to our lives, we wake up every single day. And we have decisions that range from insignificant to life-altering. And we have to decide. Will you rely on God's wisdom and his discernment or your own morality and willpower and desires? In his book, uh, You Can Change, author Tim Chester, I was reading it uh, this week, he wrote these words. It's as if there are two feasts, the feast of God and the feast of sin, and we're invited to both. God invites us to find satisfaction in him. Sin entices us with its lies to look for satisfaction in sin. So we're double booked, we're constantly being invited to both parties, if you will. All the time we have to choose which feast are we going to attend. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, here's God's invitation to you. Every single day you wake up, every single moment of your life, here's his invitation. Isaiah writes these words, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Here, here's how I want to end. The Holy Spirit, every day of your life, is pulling out a chair at God's table. He's holding your chair so you can sit down at God's table and feast with the Lord. At the same time, sin is crouching at the door. The enemy is waiting to devour you. And you have to choose, am I going to sit at this table or am I going to open this door? But you don't make that choice alone. See, you have God's word readily available to you. You have God's company in prayer, his presence 
when you pray. You have God's power surging in you through the work of the Holy Spirit, and you have God's people ready to surround you in love. But the choice is yours. So choose wisely. Let's pray.